0: The heart of Inglewood Women's Ministry is simple. Bible studies, community, and accountability. Our desire is to be a group of women who inspire people to grow in their love for Jesus, support each other in every season, and make fellowship a
1: priority. Love God, love people, serve the world. Y'all came in April, then you know how this whole thing started, right? With me being here. Okay? Okay. I don't want to tell that whole story again. But in January, when I began to pray about it, then the Lord told me to do two things. He said, build community. He was so clear. And he said, you'll never have a healthy church till you have healthy families. And so I didn't know what that looked like, really, um, or what he was going to do with it. I just started praying. And y'all know I pray about... Everything My husband can tell you. My mentor is here. Carol Bivens, she can tell you. Um, so I just began to pray. And so I came, I sat in the saddle for the first time on June 1. And I started praying about, you know, how would we get these women together? How would we build community? And how would we have healthy families? Because let me tell you what, we're all in a mess. Did y'all know that? Woo, we really are. And so in this seat, I see that a lot. You know, people either going into some kind of crisis or coming out or just got out of one. And I mean, and mamas have it worse than anybody, right? So I just started praying about it and who I was going to invite. And so I had a lot of people telling me, oh, please see if you can get this person to come for an event. And see if you can get this person. You know how expensive those people are? I'm sorry. I love you. That's okay. I'm
2: free. I know.
1: I mean, we like free people. And so this is free right here. And, you know. We really wanted to all sit on the same couch. And Pastor Ramsey said, you can't do that. You got to spread out. So here we are. We want to be together, though. But anyway, I started praying about it. And uh, the Lord brought Suzette's name to my mind. Well, all these people that said, call this one, we'd love to have this one, these big name people. And oh, my goodness, y'all, it's like trying to get to the president to even get to them, and then you don't get to them, somebody else calls you. And so I just kept praying and praying and praying. And I told my husband in July, I said, listen, the Lord keeps bringing Suzette Reeves' name to my mind like, I know he wants me to do something with that, but I don't know what. Well, I have to tell you, I've known her for almost 40 years, okay? Like before that one over there was born. Her husband and she were our Sunday school teachers when we just married. And we've been married 37 years, if that tells you anything about the timeline. And she and I have always been, we're a lot alike. Like, we've both picked up hitchhikers before, you know? We do things that, like, you know, freaks people out. And we have a love for people. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter anything about them. We love people. And so every time we see each other, like, we pick up right where we left off. Well, I had not seen her probably, what, 10 years maybe? But I'd seen little Bonnie. Don't we all love Bonnie? And um, I said, Bonnie... um, what do you think about your mom and you coming and being our speaker, like for the Christmas event that we're going to have? She said, well, I don't know about that. So I went to Bill, and I said, listen, I've already asked Bonnie. I've gotten Suzette's number. If anybody has a perfect life, it is Suzette Reeves. I don't know what the Lord's doing. I don't know why he wants me to have her because, I mean, she you know, the only story she can tell is stories about other people because her life has been so perfect. And so I asked Bonnie for a number and Bonnie gave it to me and I texted her and no I didn't. I messaged her first and she didn't message me back. She's busy. (laughs) The really truth of it is we're not social media people. And so she didn't look at Messenger. So I got her text message, but, um, I called her two weeks. I mean, I, Texted her two weeks later, and she said, I don't have to pray about this. I said, are you kidding me? She said, no, Bonnie told me about it a couple of weeks ago. And she said, are y'all ready for this? To me on the other end, I don't have to ask you. She said, listen, I know to everybody in the world, my life seems perfect. Wow. Doo 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 doo. I just said that to Bill. And she said, and I've been praying about an opportunity to share my story. And so yeah, I'll do it. And so here they are. This is Suzette Reeves, my friend of almost 40 years, and her daughter Bonnie, and they're gonna share their story tonight. And another neat thing, are you ready for this? I love how God weaves these stories together. Y'all, I couldn't make this stuff up. I mean, especially the free part. But <laughs> We have the same mentor. When I started going, y'all have heard me tell this a lot, especially if you've taken in my classes. When I first got my first mentor, well, my first, like, spiritual mama, which is Carol Bivens, she was doing all the events for the Bible studies, right? And so I was a young mother. My daughter's 33, but she was just a baby. And every Friday morning, Bill made sure, my husband, that I could get to that Bible study. And Suzette orchestrated that, and Carol was the teacher, and they took me in, and that's been almost four decades. And here we are. Y'all, that's God. That's God. So, that is all I have to say. Now, I may get so involved in a conversation that I ask her questions, and she says I can do that, because I've heard a lot more than she has time to do. But... Hit it, Hutch. What do you want to say? Well, do you want me to tell about the song first? Yeah, you said you had something about something yeah, we were singing a yeah, minute ago. Yeah. See, something's already happened that's okay, just really interesting. If I,
2: if I can pronounce it, in excelsis deo. Is that right? Sure. Okay, so <laughs> when that was, when, when y'all were singing that, it made me think of something. I'll just have to tell you because it's really funny. But, um. I have three girls and one boy, and the boy was the youngest. And he and I were in the car together driving down the street, and it was Christmas time, and that song was playing on the radio. And all of a sudden, he looked at me and he said, Mama, was Jesus really born in Aunt Chelsea's stable? <laughs> Aunt who? Aunt Chelsea. Aunt Chelsea. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, have, I have really failed. <laughs> but he said, You know, in a Chelsea stable, <laughs> makes sense to me out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> so I just had to tell that funny story yeah. first because we we are we're going to share where um, I'm going to share a story and Bondi's going to talk too. And part of it's sad, um, but the joy of it is is the season that we're celebrating right now. And one of my favorite songs at Christmas time is Emmanuel, that's God with us that God would provide a way unlike in the old testament where you had to go I don't think I could have done all that the sacrificing and all that you know to get to God I'm so glad I wasn't born back then but in the day where we can go through Emmanuel that is with us and speak with our heavenly father and so that's my favorite part about christmas is Emmanuel you know God with us I, I, I don't even want to think about where I would be without Emmanuel.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: I—that's uh, my favorite part about Christmas.
1: You know, I knew Suzette like I told you long ago, but I actually went on vacation with her grandmother because our grandmothers were friends. That's how. And so when you said life was so bad, Brady was so wonderful. I couldn't imagine that anything could have been wrong because she was a wonderful mm-hmm. grandmother. Yes, yeah, and was. she gave birth to your mom, Mm -hmm. and things went awry at some point. Yeah, yeah. So tell us that story.
2: Okay. Well, um, I was one of three girls. My older sister was born with a severe handicap, spina bifida, and it was the worst degree of spina bifida that you can have. And so she was in and out of hospitals. My mother was 16 when she married. My dad signed her report cards. And so, anyway, she was very young. And I want I wanted to tell this first, just to present the mother that I had before things got to not looking so good. But um, she was young. She had three little girls, um, the oldest with a severe handicap. And my dad worked for Sears, and so we traveled a lot from him being manager, assistant manager, you know, that thing. So I've lived in about five different states And um, we moved to North Carolina, and my sister was in Duke University having several surgeries. And then here I was about three at the time, and my younger sister was two. And we didn't have any family near us to help my mother. You know, and now as a mother, I can look back on that and have so much mercy for my mother and just think, I I, don't—I can't even imagine. We weren't in church. Um, My parents weren't believers, Um, They were good people, but um, they didn't know Jesus. And so, anyway, my mother went for, like, her yearly checkup. And at that time in history, that's when the miracle drug came out, Valium. They had no idea the addictive properties of it whatsoever. It was just the miracle drug. And so, after the doctor hearing my mother's story, um, he said, well, I've got something that I think will help you and so he prescribed her Valium, and through time, anybody that knows anything about addictive drugs knows that it gets out of hand, and um, you have a physical reaction in your body, and your body becomes dependent on it, and at the time, you know, she didn't know anything about that, and anyway, that's, that's how it started, and so anyway, I think it helped her through a couple of years like that, and After North Carolina, we moved to Florida, and then we moved to Georgia. We were living in Georgia. My grandfather, the husband of the grandmother, Miss Brady, Mister Brady, Dada is what we called him. He called my mother, and he knew that that my mom and dad were not living right. I mean, they weren't. Again, they weren't horrible people, but we weren't in church, and they didn't know the Lord, and I had never even heard the plan of salvation. And so my grandfather called and asked us to go to a convention center to a crusade. And some of y'all know this man when I say his name, but his name was Bob Harrington. And so if you know anything about him, you know he was a dynamic preacher, especially at presenting the gospel. I was seven at the time, and I understood the gospel just as clear as day. First time I'd ever heard it, and I knew I wanted Jesus, and I wanted to follow him and I already loved him, just hearing what Bob had to say about him. And so that day, I prayed to receive Christ at seven years old. And from then on until my, till I'll tell you later what happened in my family's life, the Lord just carried me. You know, when you have an infant, don't you just carry that baby. And when we're, when we're born again, we're babies in Christ. And I was a baby, and so the Lord carried me until it came to the time to where things started getting rough in the household. And I could tell my parents were fighting a lot. We had moved back to Memphis at the time. And that's when people were really starting to get divorces. You know, my grandparents' age, they 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 stuck it out no matter what.
1: And there was so much shame. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so I kept thinking, are they going to get divorced? And... Then the crazy thing about it is there were these cool apartments down the street from us, and they had a fountain in it, and I thought, well, if they get a divorce, we can live in one of those, and we'll have that fountain outside, and that'll be cool. That is just like Suzette. Listen, she make
1: lemonade every time. I
2: had friends, you know, their parents were divorced, and I thought those apartments were the coolest thing in the world, you know? So anyway, but reality set in, and um, sure enough, soon my parents sat us down and told us that um, that they were getting
1: a divorce. Were you a daddy's girl or a mama's girl? A daddy's
2: girl. (laughs) And just the thought of my father moving out of that house was devastating to me. I did not want to lose my daddy. Now, my mother, at this point... I know she was taking Valium. I know that, you know, they would go out and, you know, drink on the weekends when they were at restaurants or bars or whatever. We had babysitters. But still, even in the midst of that, I remember my mother. um, She was absolutely, my my mother was gorgeous. She was a beautiful lady. Um, Very talented. Um, She could draw. She could her, her handwriting was as pretty as any handwriting I had ever seen, and you should see mine. Now, my husband, he's, I think he's up there somewhere. He's a doctor, so you know what their handwriting looks like. Mine looks like that, too, <laughs> only it's just because I can't write good, you know, but my mother could. She was very talented, beautiful. She could play the piano, um, very smart, but her life was filled with young children and it was hard, and she'd been away from family so long. And so the thing that she depended on was the value to get her through the days. And then, like I said, on the weekends, they would, you know, go out with friends, country clubs, you know, things like that. And, um, and that, was, that was what the Bible refers to as an idol. You know, things that we lean on apart from leaning on God, whatever it is. It could be shopping. Um, I mean, anything other than God, leaning on God, that's an idol. And so that's what she was leaning on. And um, so anyway, my dad moved out, and my first memory of feeling just, I, you know, later on I really realized what this was. I didn't know it at the time, but it was it was abuse. It was verbal abuse, and it was mental abuse. And for whatever reason, of me and my two sisters, I was the one that was the scapegoat. And um, she treated my sisters differently than she did me. And the crazy thing about it was I was the only one that behaved. My other two sisters, I mean, they went crazy and wild. And I was always there and, you know, obeying and trying to do things right and taking care of the whole family. I think with my older sister having spina bifida, I took on the role as the oldest child. And so I just took care of everybody and myself and felt like I, you know, was so self-sufficient I didn't really need anybody.
1: Well, and you know, we were talking about this. You really felt responsible for her happiness. You yes. Wanted, you wanted to do everything to make her right. be okay. Right. Because she had such struggles. right. Right. And so,
2: anyway, I remember coming home from school one day, and I couldn't find her. My dad had moved out, and I went back in the bedroom, and I found her back there. And she'd been drinking, and she was pretty much passed out on her bed and just dysfunctional. And I was terrified. I was in elementary school, and I didn't know what to do with all that. And so I asked her, I said, well, what are we going to do for supper? And she said, well, it's on the stove. And I went in and looked on the stove, and my sister and I had made some Play-Doh for a a science project. And in that pot that we had made that Play-Doh in, there were mashed potatoes made in that same pot. And so you can imagine, you know, being in elementary school and getting to that point. It was devastating. I mean, I was terrified. And so I went and called my dad. And as a result of doing that, that made things worse because that really made my mom mad. And so then there was a lot of shame put on me for doing that. And if you know anything about addiction, it produces a narcissistic personality. And it's always everybody else's fault. It's never that person's fault. That's that's the horrible thing about um, drugs is that it it takes over you. Um, I I really believe that it's it's demonic. Um, If the Holy Spirit is not in control, who is in control? It's either God or it's Satan. And so the things that were happening, now I can look back and see that I was not fighting against flesh and blood, but higher powers. And I wasn't equipped. But you know what? My heavenly Father was, and Jesus lived in my heart, and I didn't know how, but He did, and He fought my battles for me, and He held me, and He carried me. So I honestly can't even remember what happened after um, after my dad left, and I know things
1: were, you know, settled down that evening. Was it a long time before they got saved? Because well, you're still the only unbeliever. I mean, you're the only believer in right, the in the home, right? And mom is just the enemy is. Telling hard things about you, and so that's escalating. At what point did y'all come to know the Lord? Did they come to know the well, Lord? Well, I
2: have my other set of grandparents lived in Brownsville, and they were godly people. And my grandmother and grandfather had been praying for us for years, and so my dad went to their house one weekend i stayed at their house that weekend, and my grandmother was getting up to go to church, and she said, you know, Jean, are you going to go to church with us? And he said, no, I'm just going to stay here. So you know us women, mothers and grandmothers, we can, we can really do some things, can't we? She turned the radio on as she was walking out the door, and it was Adrian Rogers preaching out of Bellevue, and he was preaching on the family and the responsibilities of the father that God had given the father their responsibility, the mother, and then the children, their roles. And my dad got up off the couch. He got in the car, driving back towards Memphis. And I did not know this until I heard him share his testimony one day. But he said he was driving back, and he realized he had failed his family. And his next decision was that he was just going to drive off the first viaduct. And just end it, that we would be better off without him. He had good insurance and, you know, that kind of thing. And so he was just about to do that. <laughs> but God. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded him of a hymn that he had sung all his life in church with his, you know, going to church with his family. And he began to sing that hymn over and over. And he looked up at God and he said, God, I've tried everything. I've tried A a higher paying job, bigger houses, nicer cars, you know, that kind of thing. But I have not tried you. And he said, I don't want to give my life to you. And my dad's life, you talk about old things passing away and all things becoming new. He came back, apologized to my mother. She wasn't saved yet, but she let him back in the house. I literally saw him pour liquor down the drain in the kitchen. It was all out of the house, and my dad was back. We started going to a Bible-believing church, and that's when I first begun to get in Scripture and be taught Scripture and learn how to grow and, and you know as a Christian. And so... Um, my mom, about two years after that, of us going regularly, she gave her heart to Christ. And she was very involved in Bible study fellowship in Memphis. and Was
1: you know, actually a teacher when she yeah, taught it, yeah, didn't she? Yeah, she
2: led it. And if anybody knows anything about that, it's, it's real in-depth. And remember, I told you, she's very, very smart. But, you know, we all have temptations to fall back. And, you know... Me and my sisters were teenagers at the time, and y'all know what it's like raising teenagers. And so some of the old habits started coming back. And um, I didn't really suffer much as a result of that because by then I graduated from high school and went to college. And you talk about God being there for you, God with us. You know, Emmanuel, boy is he ever. I went to UT Martin, and I was dating a guy at the time from high school back where I you know, graduated from. But that man up there in the, in the balcony, Wade Reeves, <laughs> I saw him walking across campus. And it was just like a magnet. And then I decided to go to the BSU. So I'm a freshman at college, and I go to the BSU, and I've already seen this guy walking across campus, and I thought, he's kind of cute, you know? (laughs) And so anyway, I went to the BSU, and he was there. Now, y'all know, you're a freshman in college, and this guy is at the BSU. He has got to be a good guy. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up dating and... um, Four years after that, we were married, and I became part of his family before we were ever even married. Um, Joanna, I mean, I'm looking at her right now, his sister, and she was just, has always been the greatest sister-in-law you could ever ask for. We've had lots of laughs and lots of tears and grown through the years, but she was such a blessing to me. And then Wade's mother, Angelique. She mothered me like I had never been mothered before and took care of things I didn't even have to ask. You know, she was always thinking of things before I even knew that I needed something and showed me what a godly mother was really all about. And so, man, was I blessed. You know, God's been faithful. He's been faithful. So we married, and shortly after we were married, I was ready for us to start a family. And so about, I don't know, maybe a couple of months after we were married, I had a positive test. I was working in labor and delivery at the time as a nurse, and about eight weeks into the pregnancy, I was at work that day, and I started cramping. And being a labor and delivery nurse, we had access to finding out things, you know, really quick. So I found out very soon that um, that I was miscarrying. And I remember sitting in one of the exam rooms, and a doctor came through and he said to me, He said, Well, Suzette, you know, it's okay. He said, You know, somewhere along the line, you and Wade will probably have, you know, more than you need anyway. So it, it'll be okay. <laughs> and I thought, You're an OB doctor? Don't say that to anybody else. <laughs> you know, it was just, it was, it was hard. It was really hard. And there I was delivering babies left and right. You know, women crying because they had a boy instead of a girl. And I just wanted a baby, you know. And so month after month after month went by. And so I went through that period of, you know, infertility. Um, but, but God, he's been so faithful. And when I got to the point in that, in that journey that I looked up at God one day and I said, God, if serving you the rest of my life without a child is what you want me to do, then I will do it. And my husband and I were on our knees in our little apartment praying. And I know the Lord gave me those words to pray. He knew my heart was there. I didn't even know how to say it, but he he allowed me to have those words to say where where my heart was leaning towards. And you know what? You were pregnant. I was pregnant when I was praying that prayer (laughs) and did not even know it. And so now here I am with four children,
1: with and ten girls.
2: grandchildren. Yeah,
1: and the other girls aren't they here? Yeah, Caroline, Caroline Amanda, and Amanda. Right Where are here. y'all?
2: Raise your hands. Oh, they're,
1: uh, they're like going this. like this. <laughs> right so Caroline
2: was born, and then fourteen months later, Amanda came because what was birth control <laughs> what was that <laughs> I mean, you know so she was a, a great surprise and then the lord blessed us with bonnie and then blessed us with a son and so the lord was taking care of me my mother was living in Memphis, so I really didn't have a lot of interaction with her during that time, but by the time the, the third child came, I needed some help because Caroline was three and Amanda was two and Bonnie was newborn, so that's a lot of little babies, and so I opened the door to let her come in and, you know, and help, help take care of the children and take care of me, and that did not go so well because she had gone so far back into her addiction that the Valium and, um, the alcohol. She was a closet alcoholic. Nobody at church knew. You know, she would show up at church, and you would think everything was fine. And so, but it, it wasn't, and things started getting worse. I remember after I had Sam, um, I went to look at my bottle of pain medication that they had given me, and I knew I hadn't taken any, and there were several pills missing out of it. And so, she had taken my medication and was not really, you know, any any help to me. It was more like having, you know, someone else there to take care of. But but God, he, you know, he took care of me. So, what was the next thing you want me to tell?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> we've talked so much about this, haven't we? Mm-hmm. So, your parents are they're married, they're in charge, mm-hmm. everything looks good. They're yeah. still in Memphis. Did Dad ever move? At some point, they moved to Milan. Yes. And Dad, Dad keeps Mom pretty grounded, right? Yes. Yes. And you've yes. got this wonderful relationship with him, and yes. really kept her at bay, right? Because right. she she was not unkind to you like she had been in your childhood, right? But they moved here and they began did. to go to church with you.
2: Yeah, my Dad retired. and They moved to to Milan. And um, we're in church, you know, regularly with us and serving and that kind of thing. And then shortly after they had moved there, my father was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. And it had a, you know, a, a bad prognosis. And I remember hearing the doctor telling us that he had that and, and what the, the outcome of that was. But it really just didn't sink in because I'm thinking, that's my dad. I mean, I hear he says he's got this. He'll, he'll be okay, you know. But he wasn't. Six months later, he passed away. And then six months after that, my younger sister passed away. She went in for some outpatient surgery in Nashville, and the surgeon made a mistake, punctured her intestines three times, and she died three days later of sepsis. So my father died, my sister died within six months, and within the next several years, I buried every one of my immediate family members, except my mother. So I was left with my mother and my dad not there or my sister's not there, and the addiction really escalated. And I can remember if I would see her number on my caller ID, I would have a physical reaction from head to toe because I never knew what I was going to be dealing with when the phone rang. Um, I remember, you know, it's true, this, this phrase, and you've probably heard it before, but hurting people hurt
1: people. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting
2: people hurt people. Uh And she was hurting, and this medication was controlling her, and I was an easy target.
1: Yeah, and she was going to church with you. Yes. Dad was gone, and it was hard for her to see. Your life seemed, I mean, it did, Suzette. I mean, your life just has been so beautiful. Your children are beautiful. You've got a wonderful husband, and she's looking at all that, Mm -hmm. unable to stop the addiction Mm -hmm. Your dad is gone. You're all she has left. She's going to church. So instead of being proud of you and edifying you, You know, it's your worst nightmare Mm -hmm. that in the church she is trying to destroy your good reputation.
2: Yes, yes. And that had to be yeah. I would literally have people come to me, you know, and and say, you know, you should take better care of your mother. You should do this. You should do that. Not knowing
1: that you had had to have those
2: boundaries. Yeah, not
1: having any idea what that really looked like. And there were times, I know you and I talked about, how many times you really got discouraged about that because you felt so lonely because you never shared it with anybody. But, God, yeah. tell them about the antique store.
2: Um, You know the scripture that says that God fights your battles for you? He does, y'all. And one reason we're tell the main reason we're telling this story is to let, God get the glory for showing up and doing things that he says all in his word. And we can read all these promises, but until we read them and then we apply them to our life and we see God working that out in our life, it's a whole different story. And the sad part about it is sometimes it has to get so dark that we see the light, but that the darker it is, the brighter that light is. And I've experienced that. And the whole point in sharing all these stories is that you all, as you hear this, might. Get joy out of hearing it because of what God is doing.
1: And give us hope. Yes. Yes. That his promises in That's his right. word are true. Now, some
2: of, my, some of my close friends, I was able to talk to them, but I had to be really, you know, careful. I couldn't get in front of the whole church and tell the whole church that this lady sitting on the third row, looking like the southern living woman had it all together, that she was an addict and she was cruel to me. I couldn't do that. And any time I tried to defend myself, it would just make me look worse. And the Lord just told me, I will fight your battles for you. Just be still. Be still. And, man, that's hard for somebody like me. And even harder for somebody to be still, but to be quiet, whoo, that's And you need a to
1: see evidence, don't yes. you? And I yes. think that's
2: what happened. Yes.
1: When yes. he fought for you in yes. that store, is he so was let giving me, you evidence. What
2: she's want me to tell you is this is, this is so God— um, I hated that I had to hear part of what happened, but it was worth hearing what happened to see what God did. But there was an antique store in Milan. You know, Milan's a small town, and um, there were these two guys that, were, that owned the antique store, and my mother was in there, and she was talking to these men, and there was a teacher in the in the store also. And my mother looked at the men, and she said, She could not wait to the day that Wade Reeves woke up and realized the real person he was married to. And woe to Suzette when that day happened my own mother. But it wasn't my mother, it was the enemy Mm -hmm. using my mother. And I had learned through the years, it was a, had to be a conscious effort of separating those two so that God could give me mercy and grace for her at the same time and to forgive. And I, have to do it, I had to do it over and over and over and over again. It's not always just a one-time deal. And so anyway, when I was told this story, at first I was like, why are you telling me this? Well, here's the rest of the story. There was a teacher that was in there overheard my mother say that. And when my mother walked out of the store, the teacher went up to the two men and she said, do not believe a word that that woman just said to you. She said, I have known Wade and Suzette ever since they came to Milan. She said, I've taught all four of their children in school, and those are four of the happiest children I've ever been around. And I say this, oh gosh, very humbly. She said, wait and see that or two of the godliest people that I know. <laughs> and I just thought, God, that's why you let me know about this. Because he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. And he fought that battle for me.
1: And, you know, you continue to be good to your mom. Do yeah. You, I know yeah. you had boundaries. Because yes. you But you were never unkind to her. Okay, so she got sick. I, I tell tell them about didn't she break her femur or yeah, yeah. something happened? I was listening to Grant Gaines on the radio
2: one Sunday morning, and his sermon was on deliverance. And so all these years of, you know, all the things that I've been going through with her, I had prayed for strength. And when Grant started preaching and he started talking about deliverance, it was like, duh, where have I been? Why have I not prayed for deliverance? Well, the truth is it wasn't time to pray for deliverance. But God used him in that message to confirm to me that it was okay. And I had no idea what that might look like. I mean, it had gotten to the point to where I told Wade one day, I said, I cannot go on like this it was everywhere. Everywhere I looked, she was there, you know, and and really good about doing it secretively where nobody else, you know, could really see. I wished that I had had physical bruises on me so that people could have looked at me and said, run. It's okay to run. But emotional and verbal abuse is hidden, and it's scary. And I didn't even know it was that till years later. But when I did realize what it was, and I heard Grant you know, preaching on that. One Wednesday morning, I was preparing to teach a class at church that night, and the Lord brought that back to my mind. And I looked up at God, and I said, God, I don't know what this looks like, but I'm just telling you, I am at the end. You know, the Bible says in Psalms, cast your burdens upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved. And I looked up at God, and I said, I am fixing to be moved. I can't keep doing this. I, could I just live for a little while here on the face of the earth and enjoy my husband and my children and my family without this constantly hanging over me and, and just, the, you know, just the abuse? And I said, Lord, would you just deliver me? So I went on studying, went to church that night. Um, on the way home, I called my mom just to check on her. She's a, she's a widow now. Okay, and the Bible does say that you're to honor your father and mother when they are in their older years. And I made sure that my mother had a roof over her head and that she had food. She could get to the doctor, things like that, but we did not have a thriving relationship. It was a very toxic relationship. And so, therefore, I had to draw boundaries to protect myself and my family, but at the same time, take care of her to the extent that I could. And so anyway, when she picked up the phone I could tell she was just high as a kite. And I'd been through the days of intervening and you know, the truth is unless somebody is ready to change, you're beating your head against the wall trying to get them to change. And I had done that so many times. So when I could tell that she was high, I just said, Oh, I'll well, just call and check on you, you know, and I'll I'll talk to you later. So bear in mind, that morning I had prayed that prayer for deliverance. I hung the phone up, got home. It wasn't about 10 minutes later that my phone rang, and it was my mother. And she had taken so much medication that trying to get out of the bed, she fell, and she broke her femur. Wade and I went out there, got her to Milan General. They x-rayed. Her femur was broken. They took her to Jackson. He and I both were up with her all night long. Um, and, and y'all, again, it's, it's, it is, you're, people that are struggling with addiction, they are different people. It's like they put on a whole new set of clothes and in a disguise, you don't even see the same person anymore. So all through the night, it was, it was one thing after the other, you know, screaming at the nurses, yelling at them, getting mad at me because I wouldn't go get her more pain medicine when she had just gotten pain medicine. And finally she got so outdone with me that she looked up at me and she said, and this was out of the blue, she said, you're not coordinated. And I was like, well, where did that come from? And so I had learned through, you know, reading different, you know, books and, Just seeking God for wisdom on how to do this, how to deal with abusive things that are being said to you. And so I looked at her and I said, You know, Mother, that's not true. I said, I have my strengths and I have my weaknesses, but coordination has never been one of my weaknesses. I said, I can ride a bike, I can water ski. I can snow ski. I said I was a cheerleader in high school. And this is how extreme these things get with with addiction. She looked at me and she said, well, you weren't any good. And I said, I just looked at her and she said, they only picked you to be a cheerleader because you were cute. You weren't any good. That was when my husband really realized the extent of what I was going through because like I said it is it's so hidden but when it came out and he witnessed that he couldn't even fathom what that would be like you know from what he grew up he grew up in like a leave it to beaver home
1: you know was she <laughs> was she in the hospital when this happened
2: yes and so they took her to surgery they did surgery Um, fixed her femur she went to nhc for rehab and after she while she was in rehab she got an infection in the in the wound they had to take her back over to to jackson do the open her up clean it all out and by this time it was around christmas time and i was there with her on christmas eve and bearing in mind i've got all my kids, you know, coming for Christmas the next day, but I still wanted to see my mother.
1: You're so, waiting on that blessing.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I went, you know, sat with her for a little while, left, and Christmas Day came, and we finished all our, you know, our Christmas festivities that day. And at the end of the day, I looked at Wade, and, the, you know, the girls were all there, Sam and our, our family, and I said, you know, I cannot stand the thought. I mean, this is that guilt. You know, it just, it's so hard to shake this off because you've been made to feel guilty for so long. And so I said, I can't stand the thought of my mother being up at the hospital and nobody being there. And so I said, let's just go up there and and see her. He said, well, I'll go with you. So we told the kids, you know, we'd be right back. We're only going to stay for a few minutes. And we went up there. And I got into the hallway at the hospital, and a nurse came up to me. I'd never seen her before. And she looked at me, and she said, what are you doing up here? And I said, well, I came to see my mother. It's Christmas Day. I can't stand the thought of her being here by herself. And she said, who is your mother? And I told her. And she said, honey, let me tell you something. She said, I have worked in prisons. I've worked in nursing homes. I've worked in doctor's offices and hospitals. She said, I've been taking care of your mother all day. And she said, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, she's going to have you six feet under, and she's still going to be here doing other people the way that she's doing you. And the next thing that she said, my whole body just had a release, and this is what she said to me. Where is your family? I said, they're at home. She said, go home to your family. I felt chains just absolutely just fall off me. I did not feel guilty. I felt freedom. And I looked at Wade and I said, let's go home. And we went home. After she got through with the, the surgery there and they sent her over to Milan for some more rehab there. New Year's Eve night, she had a catastrophic event. She, I think, you know, we're not sure if it was a stroke, but she was, she, she couldn't talk, she couldn't respond. I mean, it was, she was really bad. And so the doctors encouraged us to, you know, make that call that nobody wants to make, you know, but to consider making her a do not resuscitate. So we talked about it and prayed about it and felt like that was the the thing to do, and she was just going down, you know, little by little. So three days after New Year's, it was a Sunday morning, and I woke up, and I looked at Wade, and I said, I'm not going to go to church today. And he looked at me like, what in the world, you know? And I said, I'm I'm not going to go. I want to go up to the hospital. I want to be there with my mother by myself. I knew none of the doctors would be there, no visitors. You know, it would just be she and I. And the Lord just orchestrated that. He put that in our heart. And so I went up there, and she was on oxygen. I asked the nurse had she been responsive, and she said no. And so she left the room, and I went up to my mother and I whispered in her ear with the oxygen blowing. It was It's kind of loud, so you have to, you know, get really close for someone to hear you. And I whispered in her ear, and I said, Mom, I want you to know that I love you. I always have, and I always will. I didn't do everything right through all of this, but I did the best that I could. And I said, I'm just sorry that we were never able to have what I know you wanted and what I really wanted to and y'all, she'd not been responsive at all. But she whispered back to me, and she said, "I love you too." And she died that night. Then wow. God could.
1: Yes, He really is.
2: That He gave me that opportunity to have. Those were our final words.
1: Uh-huh.
2: You know, through through the whole thing. But I'm going to tell you what the enemy means for evil. God uses for good. I just had to keep running to Jesus. Keep running to God. And one thing that I was telling Melinda, too, that Carol always said, if you don't know what to do, always do this. Read your Bible, pray,
1: and, and go, go to, to church. church.
2: And I read my Bible, and I prayed, and I went to church. And I kept doing those things. The Lord fought for me. He walked with me. He talked with me. He didn't just get me through that. He helped me rise above it. Amen. Amen. And I know that the enemy, even as I'm sitting here sharing this, and y'all are listening, he's sorry that he ever messed with me mm. because my God is bigger.
1: My God is bigger. And he has redeemed and restored. It's been awesome. So I look at Bonnie after she tells me this story, and I mean, we are, we, I'm just all into it. Uh, the first time we, I had no idea. I'd known her for almost four decades. I had no idea. And I look at Bonnie, and I said, so, okay, so what does this have to do with you? Like, I know the Lord has put you all together. At first I thought, well, we're going to do mentoring, and then I hear her story. And Bonnie, you, you just got to—Bonnie has my whole heart. I love that child. But she, she says it so beautifully because what would have been easy, the enemy knows. You know, he really knows if he, if he gets on the outside— People band together. Families band together. Churches to be attacks. But when he can attack from within, he's been using that tactic for centuries. And so, he tried that. It worked with your mom, Suzette. You always had joy, though. Always had joy, even when you were going through this. But, Bonnie, you got to close this up with just a little clip of how you— Share God's redemption
0: yeah. If I can do it without crying <laughs> um, But you know as I hear my mom share her story And we watched a lot of it unfold um, It is so clear to me That the Lord called my mom out And she set, he set her apart and said I'm going to do a new thing and if you'll walk with me, we're going to pave a new path for your family and their children and their children. And that's what we've gotten to experience, and that's what we continue to watch. Um, you know, I look back in some of the stories she shared, and by God's grace, I didn't have to wait until I was seven and invited to a revival to hear the gospel. I was born into a family that was teaching me about Jesus from day one, and it was my very own mother who shared the gospel with me and pulled over on the side of the road and helped me accept Jesus as my own Savior. And then, you know, my siblings and I, we never found my mom passed out back in her room on the floor. The only time we ever found her on the floor is when she was reading God's Word and praying. And then when mom would come and help after pregnancies, I never had to wonder if she was going to steal my pain medication What I look back and see is that I had a mom that was willing to set aside her life for six weeks after I had premature twins during COVID. And she was right by my side those whole six weeks. And then I think, too, you know, to hear mom that she had to pray for deliverance from a toxic relationship with her mother, there's not been one day that I've had to say that prayer because of God and by God's grace. And I think, you know, her last conversation with her mom saying that she's sorry they never had the relationship she always wanted. I can speak for all my siblings. And we have more of a relationship with our mom than we could have ever dreamed and prayed for. But it's all God. And I'm just so thankful that we get to see, you know, someone can walk this road, but God can have a different story if we'll just walk with him and let him pave a different path.
1: It really is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? Do you want to share anything else about one little, and I was, I was you saw me eyeballing um, Bonnie because I'm checking with her to see if she'll share this, is the enemy did try to whisper in your ear that maybe it wasn't that wonderful, and tell us.
0: Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about generational curses, and, you know, the enemy's not going to let up easily. Yeah, I can say all those beautiful things, and those things are true, but don't ever think that the enemy didn't try to come after this generation as well. Um, but he was very subtle because I had such a great mom, such a great mom. And our, our growing up was just, I mean, we could never have asked for more. Um, but as I was doing a study very similar to Keys of Freedom um, that we do here at Inglewood, the Holy Spirit began to reveal some things in my heart that I just couldn't put my finger on because I was like, I don't know why I feel these things. Like, I I know my mom loves me. I know we have a great relationship. Um, But the Holy Spirit was just so kind to reveal some roots that the enemy was trying to put in my heart and make me think about my relationship with my mom. Um, But thankfully, my mentor at the time helped me sift through those things and see that was the enemy. He was trying to come on down to this generation And rob us of the most beautiful relationship. And, you know, one of the greatest gifts that my mom gave me was that she was willing to go to counseling with me and talk through those things and identify where the enemy was trying to rob us. And we were able to pray through those things, apologize for ways that we had hurt each other unintentionally, um, ask for forgiveness, and then we were able to pray blessings over each other. And I'm just telling you, a miracle happened because the things that I felt have been gone. Ever since we were able to talk through those things and pray, those, pray through those things. And that's the hope, right? That no matter where we are in any of our relationships, whether it's with our mother or anyone, like, like you said, we all have mess. All of our families, somewhere there's a little bit of a mess. And maybe not, and if not, and if you have a situation like my mom and I, and you know, you have a mom that paid a new way, praise God for that tonight. And don't miss the chance to hug her neck this Christmas. But I would just say if there's mess, just know that God is bigger. And that you can still find freedom. Regardless of what happens on the other end, like my mom with my nana. She could still find freedom and hope because of what God was doing in her heart through continuously forgiving her. And I just think that it is the most wonderful time of the year. You can sit across the table from anyone. And because of what God's doing in you, you can still be free and experience Jesus.